The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. The Oakland A's have won seven games in a row. You'll love to see it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, June 14th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, Giants prospect Luis Matos is getting promoted. Some hitters are coming around recently. The Warriometer and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And before we actually start with the Oh My Goodness Gracious players, can we just acknowledge this Oakland A's situation and how amazing it is? Because it seems like a spinoff of the movie Major League with what's going on there. So they've been boycotting their team all season long. The fans not going to games. They have the worst attendance in baseball. And on Tuesday night, they decide to reverse boycott 27,000 fans in attendance selling, uh, saying sell the team the entire time. It was amazing. I like I just have a lot of thoughts and questions about the validity of the A's decision to move to Las Vegas and just like really in 2023 we're I mean 2030 really is by the time the stadium's actually going to be built we're going to build a stadium that can only seat 30,000 people max and this is somehow going to like magically solve the Oakland Athletics financial woes I'm skeptical I don't know about you guys I'm skeptical that is a very small stadium. I mean, the trend is for smaller stadiums. Yes. Like they're, they're obviously not building 50,000 seat or, you know, Oakland Oakland Coliseum or whatever it's called today is way more seats than that even. Like those are, yeah, that's a dinosaur, obviously. Um, but usually it's just under 40,000, right? Yeah. yeah, but yeah I it, like I saw some number they had to average like, 2.4 million fans to break even or something was their like estimate. And like you start doing the math and it's like, that's real close to selling out every single game plus making the playoffs every year. It's like, Hey, God bless if you can pull it off. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this Oakland A situation is crazy stuff. They've won seven games in a row. As I mentioned, they have taken two straight from the best team in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays. So uh, you love to see it. Interesting times in the baseball world, but there is a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. Did you see that Yankee uh, win the Subway Series? Crazy game there. Talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Oh, my goodness gracious from Tuesday. Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a theme here. Scott's kind of bucking the theme because he's a he's a. Uh, a go-on-your-owner kind of guy. But I'll start it off with Nick Castellanos, Philadelphia Phillies outfielder. Phillies scored, I think, 15 runs tonight. Uh, and Nick Castellanos went two for six with three RBI. He is now, two of those, were both of those hits were doubles. He's now hitting 316 with an 863 OPS. And it's not like the most incredible game of all time. He had three hard-hit balls. It's a good game. 
but it's mostly just like Nick Castellanos kind of bounced all the way back. And I feel like we haven't really talked about it. And part of the reason I feel like we haven't talked about it too much was like, he was pretty good in April. He had a 308 average, 873 OPS, then was pretty bad in May, one home run, 695 OPS. He's been outstanding since the start of June. And you add it all up and he pretty much looks like Nick Castellanos, which is what we were hoping to see after a really, really poor first season in Philadelphia that seems to be going around uh, in Philly the last couple of years. But yeah, good to see Nick Castellanos bouncing pretty much all the way back. You look at the StatCast data, it doesn't quite uh, measure up to his best years, but it's pretty good. 11% barrel rate, XWOBA 345. Um, yeah, good stuff from Nick Castellanos. Way to go, bouncing back. Good job to everyone who bought into the bounce back narrative for him, and uh, you're benefiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Nick Castellanos, only eight home runs this season, so I don't mean to pour cold water. I'm going to get to the good in just a second, but uh, pointing out that his ISO is 183, that's... Yeah, that's not ideal. It's not. It's it's even lower than his days back in Detroit, but when you couple that... Um, you know, when you have the batting average that he has, 316 with the counting stats, 43 runs, 41 RBI, uh, he's averaging three fantasy points per game on the season. And entering Tuesday, he was the 12th best outfielder in Roto. So despite the limited power, he still does have three seals and all those counting stats and a really good batting average. So Pretty close to a 100-100 pace, too. Yeah. He's outscored, uh, he's outscored Mike Trout this year in points leagues, I'm talking. Yep. So, not, to, not to dump on Trout some more. <laughs> Trout was out of the lineup Tuesday. We spoke about him a little bit yesterday. Really scuffling since the start of May, uh, but lots of season left. We'll see if Mike Trout can get back on track. And, uh, you know, I'll stick with the theme here, Chris. You mentioned Nick Cassianos. I wanted to highlight Christian Yelich, who, again, he didn't have the craziest game, but he went three for four, hit his ninth home run of the season. And since the start of May, 37 games, Yelich is batting 299 with six homers and 11 steals. You look at the overall numbers this season, the ground ball rate is down. The average exit velocity and hard hit rate are both his highest since 2020. And he's running a ton this season as well. So in that kind of same vein as Castellanos, I moved Christian Yelich inside of my top 20 at the outfield position last week. He's averaging 3.1 fantasy points per game, slightly better than Castellanos. And entering Tuesday, he was the 11th best outfielder in uh, Roto Leagues as well. So both of those guys have been really off to a, a good start the season, despite the Brewers lineup being uh, mostly a letdown here. Scott, do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add to Christian Yelich or Nick Cassianos? Yeah, I moved them up as well in my latest rankings update. And Christian Yelich, his, his profile has... His output seems a little more durable, I would say, than Castellanos. As a hitter, he doesn't look that different from the last two years. And I I think we're certainly beyond the days where Christian Yelich is an MVP candidate. But what really seems to have helped his stock this year is he's one of the players who's taken advantage of the the new base running rules and uh, has upped his steals total considerably. He's gone from being just... You know, an okay source of stolen bases. He'll chip in 12 to 15 of them to somebody who now could give you 40 maybe before the year's said and done. So you, know, you go from you improve your stolen base total that much, and you could be a 15 to 20 homer guy and still be a pretty high end. And I think I think that mostly explains what we've seen from Yelich this year. Yelich is nearly on pace for a 2040 season. Currently 19 homers and 39 steals with 108 runs if he stays the course uh, with what he's done so far this season. So shout out to Christian Yelich. And, and, and that was the thing I liked about him coming into this. Season. I mean, I had him as like the 90th or 100th best player in, in my ranking. So it wasn't like I was super high on him, but I liked drafting him because it was like, if nothing changes and he stays healthy, you're going to get 100 runs and you're going to get a good con- uh, contribution in stolen bases. I didn't expect him to, you know, be on pace for 40 plus steals again. Um, and so it was like, I liked the, the solid foundation with the potential because the last couple of seasons, he's still hitting the ball really hard. It's not quite what it was at his MVP level, but you know, 91 mile per hour active velocity in 2021, 91.5 last year. It was like, 
if he cuts the strikeouts a little bit, if he starts elevating the ball a little bit, you know, there's room for him to improve. And that's what we've seen so far is that he's been, you know, he's taken small steps back to being a, a very good hitter. All right. That is Christian Yelich. Scott, oh my goodness gracious, for you. I'm going to go with Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson here on Tuesday went three for five with a home run, his 10th home run of the season, his fifth home run already in June. So things are changing very suddenly here for Gunnar Henderson, where, you know, for most of the season, it was this debate, you know, do we even hold on to him, how bad he's been? And depending on the depth of your league, it would have been tough to stick with him. But all of a sudden now, so like I said, fifth home run in June, this was his fourth straight multi-hit game. Just in those four games, Gunnar Henderson's batting average has gone from 206 to 246. And if he had been batting 246 all along, we wouldn't have been having this debate about whether or not you drop him. And certainly there's the potential for the batting average to improve from there. So I, I think I think it's... Um, it's not just encouraging for Gunnar Henderson, but I, I think it's it's uh, it's it, it 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 really serves as like a lesson, just just sort of a broader lesson where even this at this point in the season, you know, we're more than one third of the way this into the season, we're closing in on halfway mark of the season, and and even this deep into the season, just a four day period can completely change. A player's outlook his batting average rising 40 points i can't get over that in that short amount of time it's amazing the one thing i would want to see and i don't exactly know how to look this up on the fly but you know early on the season one of the things i noticed when he was struggling was his swing rate was way down you know he was swinging at pitches he's still swinging his zone swing rate is 69 or 59 percent which is crazy low his chase rate 23 percent. that's exceptionally low as well and it it gave me some like I know he's not a good player anymore, but Yohan Moncada vibes, you know, remember that season where he broke out and a lot of it was good things happen when he swings, you know, he makes contact, he hits the ball really hard. He's a super athletic player, but he was just like too passive. And I do wonder if that's something that's changed for Gunnar Henderson, because the quality of contact metrics have been really good all season. You know, the, the, the expected Wobon contact is up to 457. That's a very good mark. And so, you know, I, I wavered a little bit, you know, I do the, the trade values chart and I think I dropped him around 150th overall at his lowest, but I never like put him in the droppable. I guess that might be droppable ish range in a shallower league, but I'm glad I didn't give up on, you know, the, the very, very good talent of Gunnar Henderson because he's, you know, clearly all the physical tools remained elite and uh, he's showing, you know, it's, it's also just a good lesson in like, it's a really hard lesson to remember, but April doesn't necessarily matter more than any other month. It's hard not to react to things that happen in April. And Gunnar Henderson was not great in May either. He was better, mm. but you know, it's it's the kind of thing where it's like you could do this with Jared Kelnick as well, who's kind of gone the opposite way. Amazing April, kind of mediocre slash bad since the start of May, and it's just a reminder that. April matters. You have to react to it. It's not the only thing that matters and you can't just anchor all of your assumptions to April, you know? And it looks like most people, at least on CBS, were patient with Gunnar Henderson because he's still 90% rostered. So love to see that if you held on to him. And Chris, you might be onto something with the swing rates because uh, I looked just in the month of June. This was before Tuesday, a 46 and a half percent swing rate and a 72 percent zone swing rate. So those are much improved. Those are both up considerably compared to the first two months of the season. Uh, So yeah, might be onto something a more aggressive Gunnar Henderson, a quick programming note that Chris and I will be interviewing a former major league player on Wednesday afternoon. And that will drop as a bonus podcast on Thursday afternoon. So keep an eye out for that in your feeds and on YouTube as well. 
We have a prospect promotion to talk about. Chris, great call by you bringing up the name the other day. Mitch Hanniger was diagnosed with a fractured right forearm, so it appears Giants outfield prospect Luis Matos is getting the call. He actually hit a solo home run on Tuesday night before he left that game. Uh, 21 years old, 54 games between AA and AAA this season, a 348 batting average, nine home runs, 15 steals, and a 963 OPS. He is 10% rostered, widely available. Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, the question I was getting on Twitter, is he a must-add? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the one league that I've got where we've got just open free agent ads, I, I definitely added him. I, I think I dropped Chris Sale for him, actually. I was talking about how I was wavering on that the other day, and I, I pulled the trigger. Because, yeah, I mean, the the thing about Luis Matos when you read the scouting reports coming into this season was you know, really, really good bat speed plus raw power. The approach held him back, you know, very, very aggressive and led to some bad swing decisions. But so far this season, I mean, he's walking more, you know, his walk rate was up to 13% uh, in double A and strikeout rate below 10% at both levels. He's been hitting the ball really, really well. Um, has speed, and it seems like the kind of profile that even if there might be some, you know, batting average issues because he swings a lot and, you know, he might get taken advantage of at the major league level, it could be a profile that leads to high BABIPs because he's, you know, pretty fast, because he hits the ball pretty hard. I I do think Luis Matos is someone who probably should be added in pretty much all leagues. Yes, but certainly maybe not three outfielder leagues, maybe not, you know, your 10-team 10, 10 leagues, but anything with five outfielders, I think is worth adding. Yeah, I agree completely. Five outfielder leagues. I think if you play in a three outfield category league, you might want to take a shot on Matos there because, you know, if he does hit his ceiling, we're looking at power and speed. Of course, he's a prospect. He's human. And we've seen a lot of these players struggle when they first get called up. It's got two names that I have written down here who are still owned in around 70% of CBS leagues. Would you drop James Outman and or Christopher Morrell to pick up Luis Matos. Yes, I'd drop either one. And I, I want to take a I want to take this opportunity for a mea culpa because earlier this week when Chris brought him up, uh, I said I said I'd rather have Colton Kowser and uh, Luis Matos isn't on my radar. I'm in in terms of stashing him for redraft leagues. Some people uh, gave me grief about that afterward and Seemed to be under the impression I hadn't heard of Luis Matos. Okay, give me a little credit. But um, <laughs> look, if I've but, heard of him, Scott's definitely heard of him. But so this was kind of the thought process there. When I obviously I do the prospects report every week, every, and, and I have the the five on the verge, who I think are the five prospects most worth stashing in redraft leagues, and it's not necessarily. It's not strictly a matter of how close they are to being called up, but how impactful they're going to be when they are called up. Is it worth stashing them, actually? And uh, when I looked at Luis Matos just last week, I said, okay, like it looks like he's having a bounce back season because he was a big, pretty big prospect heading into last year, ended up hitting only 215, and batting average was supposed to be his main attribute. So understandably, he kind of fell off the radar. If batting average is the thing you do best and you hit 215, that's kind of a problem. But I saw he was hitting for a high average again. He had just been promoted to AAA. Uh, and I thought, okay, look, looks like Luis Matos is having a bounce back season. That's great. He had only four home runs at the time. Just We're talking less than a week ago. He had four home runs all season. And so I said, yes, it's looking good. It's going to be hard to talk people into a guy who has only four home runs. Because home runs make the world go around, especially with prospects. So I thought I'd keep an eye on it, you know, maybe write about him this week or whatever. And since then, he's gone on to hit. You said he hit another home run today, Frank? Yeah, he did. So, so since then, just in less than a week, he's hit six home runs. He's gone from four home runs to 10 in that short span of time, uh, bringing his batting average up around 350 for the season. It's, 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 over, it's right around 400 since he moved up to AAA. And, um, yeah, this... <laughs> You mentioned power and speed, Frank. Like I said, batting average is maybe what he stands out for the most. He struck out at a 7% rate this year, which is, you know, like Stephen Kwan territory. And um, 
He has improved his exit velocities from last year. I, I saw 90, his 90th percentile exit velocity is up four miles per hour from last year. So it, it's not just he's having better luck on balls in play. He's, he's legitimately crushing the ball um, while making contact at an incredible rate. And I am bullish on him. I, I'm disappointed that I missed the opportunity to have my ego stroked by writing about him in the prospects report. I may never have a, another, another chance to write about Luis Matos in the prospects report. But fortunately, we haven't missed the chance to add him in fantasy because, as you mentioned, only 10% rostered in CBS Sports Leagues. That means outside of deep dynasty leagues and NL-only leagues, he's available like literally everywhere. And I, would, uh, I, I moved him up to like 50th in my outfield rankings right away. Uh, definitely excited about Luis Matos in a way I haven't been excited about a lot of the prospect call-ups this year. We did have another prospect promotion on Tuesday as well. The Rangers promoted their top pitching prospect, Owen White, but he's expected to pitch out of the bullpen for now. Actually made an appearance, and uh, he wasn't great. Two innings, four hits, three earned runs with two strikeouts. This season in 11 starts at AA, a 3.54 ERA, a 1.14 whip, and less than a strikeout per inning. Scott, is there anything to see here with Owen White? Not with him in this role. And, you know, obviously his debut today went very poorly. So, um, you know, and even in the minors, it's not like his his numbers were that impressive coming up from double A with an ERA in the mid threes. And then for him to debut like he did today, uh, giving up three earned runs in two innings. Keep an eye on the way things unfold for Owen White. He, he is a prospect of some note, but uh, I wouldn't call him a priority ad or anything. All right, let's take our first break, and when we return, some hitters that are coming around recently will do that right after this. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. <laughs> Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions if you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to download and follow our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five, and if you are watching us on YouTube, you can scan the QR code. That will take you right to the podcast, where, again, you can uh, download and follow. Five minutes, we usually highlight the biggest news or players of the night, uh, so in case you can't catch this one, or if you just want more baseball content, make sure to uh, follow it. Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. Hitters that are coming around recently, Trey Turner went two for three with two walks and two steals. And in 12 June games, he's batting 313 with two home runs, four steals, and an 877 OPS. Dalton Varsho picked up three hits and a walk, and over his last 21 games, batting 286 with five homers, three steals, and just a 13% strikeout rate. Carlos Correa, a very small sample size, but uh, he went one for five with a three run walk off homer off of Devin Williams, actually, and over his last five games, he's got seven hits and three homers. Jose Abreu, something might be happening here. Two for three with a walk and RBI. He has multiple hits in four of his last five games, and in June, only 11 games played, 289 batting average, two homers, two doubles. He is striking out quite a bit still, but is hitting the ball hard. 92.2 average exit velocity. Chris, anything on these four? Trey Turner, Dalton Varsho, Carlos Correa, and Jose Abreu. Yeah, I mean, Turner, I moved down a little bit in my overall rankings, you know, and then the trade values, I, I moved him down to like 15th or 16th overall. He was a top five player, obviously, coming into the season in Roto. So I reacted a little bit, but I always expected him to figure it out. And I, I think that's probably what's happening. We're dealing with very small sample sizes with all of these players, but I'm specifically Turner, Varsho, and Correa. I'm 
more or more inclined to buy in because they're all young. They're all in their primes. You know, I, I, I think a bad month or two is less concerning for any of them than it is for Jose Abreu, who is 36, 36 mm-hmm. years old. And of these four, obviously we'd all be more inclined to believe that the 36 year old is falling off a cliff, but he also, if Jose Abreu was falling off a cliff, this is what it would have looked like, right? The strikeout rate way up 24% highest of his career quality of contact metrics across the board, the worst of his career. So he's also the one who, you know, an 11 game sample size is less likely to make me believe that he's turning it around. The, the, the burden of proof is a lot higher for Jose Abreu here than the other three guys who, yeah, any signs of life from guys like Varsho Correa and, and especially Turner, I'm more or less just going to revert to my preseason expectations for them. Whereas Jose Abreu, not really. Yeah, my expectations, I don't think it really changed for any of them except Jose Abreu, who for, you know, it's been a few weeks now since I said it was okay to drop him. Yeah. Um, that you shouldn't necessarily just ignore him forevermore because there's still a chance he could bounce back. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of uh, factors working against him, including the drop in power last year, including his age, including his struggles against fastballs specifically. But this is interesting what he's done here recently because it's not just that he's gotten good results. He is, as you pointed out, Frank, hitting the ball harder all of a sudden. So this is his third two-hit game in his last four games. He had a 106-mile-per-hour double in this one, and he had a home run in each of those other two-hit games. One hit 107 miles per hour, one hit 109 miles per hour. Remember, his first home run of the season was, I think it was sub-100, so it was like a a real – it took him forever to get it, and then it was a real wimpy shot that Jose Abreu hit. Um, So – I feel like something's changed for him. I don't like I'm I would bet against him bouncing all the way back and being who we drafted him to be, but you know, he's 78% rostered in CBS Sports Leagues right now. I imagine that would make him less rostered in places like ESPN and Yahoo and if you lost Pete Alonso or Vinny Pasquantino recently, first base has been a little difficult to fill and it might be worth taking another shot on Jose Abreu. Uh, with with what he's shown us very recently here. Yes, Jose Abreu, 61% rostered on Yahoo, so much more widely available, uh, and I agree. It, it, you know, we lost Pete Alonso, we lost Vinny Pasquantino, so we are looking for some first base replacements, and Jose Abreu is a name that you might want to add. Some waiver wire hitters, two catchers that, I, I think they're mostly for two catcher leagues, but they continue to play well. Gary Sanchez, a blast from the past. One for three with his sixth home run, added three RBI, two hard hits in this game, both over 107 exit velocity. And uh, he's hitting the ball hard, striking out as usual. Um, but yeah, the, the exit velocities and, and the hard hit rate look very promising for Gary Sanchez so far. And Patrick Bailey with the Giants, two for five with his third home run. He is batting 323 with a 938 OPS in a smaller sample size so far. Uh, he is only 11% rostered. Chris, um, do we need to consider Gary Sanchez in one-catcher leagues at some point, uh, just as well as he's playing right now? Uh, I'm inclined to say no. But, I mean, like, I'm just trying to do the the like math in my head because I haven't updated my rankings since before I went on vacation. I'm going to do that tomorrow, so please don't ask me any questions about my <laughs> rankings until about that'll be a fun five six o'clock hours tomorrow. You. Yeah, five o'clock tomorrow afternoon, uh, and then I will have some more concrete answers. And, and I'm realizing like I'm not even sure he was on the Padres roster the last time I updated <laughs> my rankings because I think it was June first. I think he, okay, he had just signed on the he was. His first game was the 30th of May, so he had just played his first or second game. I'm inclined to say neither of these guys is likely to matter in one catcher leagues. However, as we always say when we talk about the catcher position, if you've got a pulse, you matter at catcher. You know, like that, that's – so I'm, I can't imagine I'm going to move Gary Sanchez into my top 12. I would be surprised if I moved him inside my top 15, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've got – 
like Elias Diaz is useful at home, but he's a disaster on the road. I might rather have Gary Sanchez than Elias Diaz. I don't know. Like, I think that's probably a a decent range for him. So I think there's a, a, like an impenetrable, impenetrable group of 10 at the top of catcher that runs through like Jonah Heim, Francisco Alvarez, the Contreras brothers. And then you get into like, I have MJ Melendez 11th, who has not had a very good year. Tyler Stevenson, 12th, not had a good year. Cal Raleigh's there. Elias Diaz. Like that group of four. So 11 through 14 is who I just listed there for me. Um, I don't feel like, I don't feel like the promises within that group are high enough that you should necessarily refrain from just going with the hot hand, whoever sure. it happens to be. And right now it's Sanchez. So that that's the scenario where I could see using him in a one catcher league, which even then you're, you're talking, it would have to be deeper than 10. But it's it's not something I'd I'd put a lot of long term stock in. All right, but that's most catchers, right? Yeah, yeah. I you know the idea of Gary Sanchez it just kind of intrigues me because if at any point we get this Padres lineup clicking together and Gary Sanchez is playing almost every day because if you look at his game log he's played nearly every day since joining yeah. their team. It's not just he's playing catcher; he's playing DH for them as well. So that is a huge advantage, and and so. I'm interested. I moved him up to 23rd in my catcher, but I was going to make a similar point, Scott, that I think once you get past the top 10, you might just want to ride the hot hand in a one catcher league. And yes, that is Gary Sanchez right now. Bryson Stott went three for four with his sixth home run. He is also betting 301 with 10 stolen bases and he's 75% rostered. I feel like we haven't talked about him in a while and frankly haven't given him his due. I mean, he's been a very productive player for fantasy baseball so far this season. Uh, Scott, do you think that Bryson Stott should be closer to 100% rostered? I, I, I feel like he's useful, but not, not somebody who's going to put you over the top. So I think his roster rate is pretty close to perfect. For what it's worth, I did add him to the 10 sleeper hitters with the update Sunday. Uh, for this week, I had to replace Jake Fraley, who went on the IL. So I added Bryson Stott, and I basically said the same thing in there. He's boring, but useful, and has good matchups this week. And so far... So good. Yeah, what a call on the uh, Phillies being in your top five hitter matchups, right? They put up 15 runs on Tuesday. They had eight runs on Monday, which included a cycle from JT Real Muto. So they're getting the job done. Edward Julian went two for four with a walk and now has five hits and a steal in three games since being recalled. He's batting 260 overall this season with an 846 OPS. He's 37% rostered. Chris, the problem with Julian is... While I want to encourage people to add him more, I feel like a points league would be his best format, but he's not playing against left-handed pitching, and he has a 34% strikeout rate so far this season. So as much as I like the idea of Julian, and he does come with some prospect pedigree, I don't know that he needs to be much more than 37% rostered. Yeah, no, he's an interesting player, a guy that I think is really talented, but not necessarily someone who... One, his game isn't super optimized for fantasy because he's a high OBP guy. And, you know, like you said, it's better in points leagues. Points. This is, this is a tough type of player. Better in points leagues, but points leagues are, sh- are shallower, so the bar is a lot higher. I don't know if he quite clears that bar. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be the bullish one on Julian. I think he needs to be rostered in all Roto leagues. Not so much because that's what his skill set is optimized for, but because I think they go deep enough into middle infield that... Uh, Julian is is worth rostering. I mean, when he he doesn't start against left-handers, okay. When he starts against right-handers, he usually bats leadoff, which shows a lot of trust from his manager and also helps to make up for the fact he sits against left-handers. And between spring training, World Baseball Classic, and his time in the majors, the power production's been good. So I don't know that it all depends on him getting on base at a crazy high rate. All right. Like he did throughout his minor league career. Jack Sawinski had a double dong on Tuesday night, and uh, if you lost Jordan Alvarez and you need some power, I think he's a fine replacement. Two outfielders in very deep leagues. David Peralta went one for two with his fourth home run, and he's hitting for, I think, since the start of May, like well over 300. Uh, Just, you know, doesn't play against left-handed pitching, doesn't really give you much pop. Uh, And I can't believe I'm about to ask... But Aaron Hicks has played well since joining the Orioles. He went two for four with his third homer overall and 11 games with Baltimore. 364 batting average, two home runs with more walks and strikeouts. 
It's got 15 teamers, five outfield leagues. Anything here on David Peralta or Aaron Hicks? <laughs> no. Outfield, outfield gets <laughs> ugly in those five outfielder, 15-team leagues. So, I mean, is it possible somebody has to dig this deep? Yes. But I would hope not to be that person. I would hope desperately not to be that person. I Mostly, I, I look at what Aaron Hicks is doing and think, great, this is going to keep them from calling up Colton Kowser. That's going to delay it even further. Delay, delay his r- arrival even further. Get out the way, Aaron Hicks. Out with the old and with the new. My only thing with Aaron Hicks, my only contribution is I've really appreciated the Orioles penchant for trolling over the past week or so because they, I believe they tweeted a highlight of his home run today saying something like, imagine not having Aaron Hicks on your team, which is just hilarious. (laughs) And then they also, they also got a, uh, a Ryan O'Hearn revenge game against the Royals earlier this week. That that's all I have to contribute to the, Uh, uh, to the discourse. I, I do. Jack Sawinski, who you who you just mentioned, right? Like, yeah. what do we do with this guy? Because he has run very hot and cold this season. Obviously, on a burner right now, seven for his last fourteen with four home runs. Previous thirty-one games hit one eighty-six, and then the first twenty-one games of the season hit two ninety-seven. So it's wow. it's you know he's kind of having that thing that Taylor Ward went through last year that made him so frustrating and i know the easy answer would be oh just look at where his overall numbers are now and and that's where he is but of course you set a lineup every week and um i mean are we there with Jack Sawinski we're in those five outfielder leagues okay he's up to 15 home runs now for the season is he just is he just somebody who in five outfielder leagues we should trust through all the ups and downs trust no I don't think trust would be the word that I would use, but in your 15 out or your five outfitter leagues, I think he's probably worth keeping. I mean, remember there were stretches last year where he was useful. He clearly has, you know, plus raw power and he's got a little bit of athleticism too. But do we chase the stretches or do we just trust the numbers are going to be there at the end? That's, um, I, I think you almost never chase the stretches. And that that's just because I, I I don't want to say I don't believe in like hot and cold. I don't have any faith in my ability to say this guy is hot and will continue to be hot. That is where I struggle. And I I will admit that's potentially something that I struggle with as a fantasy player because I I will leave bad players in my lineup far longer than they should because I think they're better than they are. And so Maybe you have faith in it, or maybe it's just a better way to play. But for me, I, yeah. I think you probably leave him in there and just hope that what you get out of it is a 240-ish average, and by the end of the season, 30 homers and 10 steals. Yeah, I mean, that may be it. Like, obviously, he's so unproven that when he goes and hits 186 for a 31-game stretch, it's it's hard to have any faith in him yeah. anymore. But as you point out, it's it's a really interesting profile. A lot of red on that StatCast page. He's athletic. He, he's uh, capable of stealing bases. He has six so far, but he's fast enough to steal more. Uh, walks a ton, also strikes out a ton. Like, I, I could... You don't have to squint very hard to envision a, a high ceiling for Jack Sawinski, who's only 24 years old. Well, um, here, here's something. He's played 162 games at the major league level. He has a 217 batting average. It's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It's 244, 250 this season now after today's game. He's got 34 homers and 10 steals in 162 games. I feel like that might be a reasonable yeah. expectation for him moving forward. It just 217 batting average might also right. be a reasonable expectation. If, if, for he, if he can do that and hit 240. Yeah. Then we're, we've really got something here, but he's, he's a career 239 hitter in the minors. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's tough. And Though he is now batting over 240 for the year. Yeah. And his XBA entering Tuesday was 224. So that's closer to the 217 mark that you guys are referencing. And I don't know that he's going to play against lefties, and I don't think that he should. If you look at his splits against lefties in his career, he's batting 147 with a 525 OPS. So 
that kind of limits some of the counting stat output for mm-hmm. Jack Sawinski as well. I think he should be ranked inside of our top 60 outfielders, which means he probably should be rostered in a 12-team league with five outfielders in you know a roto-size uh, lineup. And you know, given the ups and downs, I, I I think you probably just leave him in there and you take the good with the bad. And hopefully by the end of the season, he does have those 30 home runs and 10 steals. Again, that is Jack Sawinski. Uh, not really a great night for waiver wire pitchers, but two names that I had written down here. Dean Kramer, another quality start up against the Blue Jays. Six innings, two runs with six strikeouts and 13 swinging strikes. And over his last eight starts, he has a 3.50 ERA and a 1.34 whip. Hogan Harris, <laughs> who is that? Well, he pitched in relief for the Oakland A's. He was their bulk reliever. He threw seven innings of one-run ball with two strikeouts against the Tampa Bay Rays. Scott, anything here on uh, Dean Kramer and Hogan Harris? Sounds like a wrestler. Yeah, Hogan Harris, I feel like there's he's had a lot of success since coming back from the minors. His first appearance was awful, and that's why his ERA is bad. Uh, but I don't see a lot of explanation for the recent success he's had i think i think uh i wouldn't invest in that to any degree really uh dean kramer look he was he was 10th on my 10 sleeper pitchers for this week so so far so good there too didn't have a lot of confidence in that pick uh but he came through against the blue jays and i think i i he is he's sort of like a a a tyler wells light Tyler Wells is good at getting weak contact on fly balls, and that's and, and he has amazing control. And like Kramer's a similar profile, just not nearly as good at, as that. So he can have starts where he 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 does a good Tyler Wells impersonation, but then he just has starts where he gets pummeled too. So I I, I don't think. I don't think he's going to break out of that pattern. I think he's somebody that you start with fingers crossed and teeth clenched and, and hope it turns out like this one did. I'm going to be a little more forceful here. He's got a 618 expected ERA. I think Dean Kramer is actively bad. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Let's quickly run through the news and notes. Aaron Judge said Sunday that while he's feeling better every day, he doesn't think there's a need for a timeline. Well, <laughs> I'd like to hear a timeline. I think everybody would like to know what's going on with Aaron Judge, but that's the latest. Pete Alonso fielded grounders at first base Tuesday, which is encouraging news considering he was given a three to four week injury timeline. Jazz Chisholm will have to undergo surgery after the season to repair the turf toe on his right foot. Uh, He will be able to return at some point this year, but it sounds like uh, it's just something that he'll have to play through. Max Muncy was out of the lineup due to a left hamstring strain. Ryan Mountcastle was placed on the IL with vertigo. Ryan O'Hearn started at first base. Byron Buxton will remain on the IL for a couple more days. He's been out with a left rib contusion. Cody Bellinger is set to begin a rehab assignment Tuesday at AAA. Uh, he, he's been on the IL since mid-May with a left knee contusion. I saw one note that he might be relegated to first base when he comes back. Bellinger? Yeah. Mm. which uh, it's not good for Matt Mervis. <laughs> not good for Matt Mervis and also just a little worrisome for Cody Ballinger, just that they, they yeah. don't necessarily know if he's going to be healthy when he comes yeah, he back. Doesn't, we don't want, with all the mechanical issues he's dealt with in recent years, we don't want him to be favoring something when he comes back, just right when it seems like he may have gotten back on track. That's, I don't like to hear that. Justin yeah, Steele. He, he's playing first base at his minor league rehab assignment, and that's what they think he might have to do moving forward. Yeah, I know when it first happened, there was some concern that it might have been some kind of ligament, and it could have been a much worse injury. I mean, he's, he's missed a good amount of time, about a month mm-hmm. already. So, uh, yeah, it might be even more severe than they've let on. Justin Steele threw a bullpen session Tuesday and has progressed without issue so far in his recovery from a mild left forearm strain. Lars Newbar could be ready for a minor league rehab assignment. He's on the IL with back discomfort. Harrison Bader is targeting a return this Friday against the Red Sox. Yankees manager Aaron Boone said that demoting Anthony Volpe is not something the team has talked about. Volpe did have a good game Tuesday night, going two for four with two doubles. J.D. Davis exited with a sprained right ankle. Sounds like... David VR will be recalled. Ian Happ left with a calf injury and is day-to-day. 
Eloy Jimenez was out again Tuesday, but apparently has a good chance to return to the starting lineup on Wednesday. One thing that I did want to mention, because we talked about Luis Matos, and we didn't mention it when we talked about Luis Matos, so now we'll talk about 45 minutes into the show. Um, Gabe Kapler talked about both Luis Matos and David VR coming to the Giants. They are both traveling to... I don't know if they're at home or on the road today. I, I did not notice, but they're going to be joining the team. They are not sure if both will be activated. Now, I would assume that because Mitch Haniger got hurt and he's the outfielder and he's definitely going on the IL, whereas J.D. Davis, they're not. There's, there's more uncertainty that I would assume Luis Matos will be activated. But I guess we'll add the 40-minute later caveat that <laughs> – there is at least a modicum of uncertainty about who will actually be activated. I would, I'm 95% confident that it's Luis Matos, but that's another thing that I saw. Well, and, and if Davis ends up joining Hanniger on the IL, then both, yeah. Then both, yeah. Kent Tamaeda is slated to make another rehab start Friday at AAA. Trevor Rogers was transferred to the 60 day IL, but it's unclear if it's due to the pre existing biceps injury or this new right shoulder injury. Uh, he's still eligible to be activated next Tuesday, June 20th. Craig Mish made it sound like it could be a little longer. Okay. It doesn't, it might not be super serious, but it's, it may not just be next week. Tarek Skubal's rehab assignment was transferred to AAA. He's made two appearances at high A, throwing five scoreless with seven strikeouts. Scott, I know you just had your IL stash rankings. Where did uh, Tarek Skubal rank on that list? And they feel. Super out of date already with this new information we're getting about <laughs> Jazz Chisholm and Cody Bellinger. Uh, Scooble, I have him ranked maybe higher than you think because everybody needs pitching and he's looked good on his rehab assignment. And he looked really good last year. Yeah, well, true. Um, let me see if I can find him. A little control F search. All right, I'm 32nd. Among the top 40. Um, but as is true, whenever you're putting together rankings of any kind, the, for, the deeper you get in the rankings, the more, uh, the, the, the more elasticity there is. And so 26, 32nd puts Scuba like right behind Brandon Lau and Jorge Polanco and right ahead of Tyler O'Neill and CJ Krohn. But he could go even higher than that, depending on how much you need pitching. Have you seen any reports on his velocity? That would be the one thing, just because he's coming back from an arm injury. You know, if he's if it's down, we don't have to look it up right now. We can talk about it later. But mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, because he, he actually took a significant step forward last season with his fastball, especially. So it wasn't he wasn't throwing it harder. It was just much more effective. So I'm so in hopeful. his second rehab start, according to. Aram Layton of what is this? Just baseball. Never heard of it, but he has like 10,000 followers. Fastball touched 98 miles per hour twice and average 96. That's damn. That would actually be significantly up. He averaged 94.1 last season with his fastball. So, yeah. That's, I mean, we could probably go and confirm this. I don't. Has he been starting? It's it's today? it's Tarek Skubal. We don't need to spend multiple minutes okay. on it. Uh, although we already have <laughs> uh, Tarek Skubal. Last point here. He is twenty eight percent rostered. So again, if you need pitching, go out and stash him right now. The first game of the Subway Series was pretty wacky, but perhaps the craziest of all. Mets reliever Drew Smith was ejected for a sticky substance without even throwing a pitch. So. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but hey, Scherzer, his teammate, same thing happened earlier this season, uh, and now Drew Smith. Let's take our final break, and when we return, we won't do as many players on the Warriometer, but I've got a few I want to talk about. We'll do that right after this. Big thanks to everybody watching us live right now. It is well past 1 a.m., 558 people here hanging out. We do appreciate you. Hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Let's fire up the Worryometer, and my plan was to just do as many Cardinals players as we possibly can, <laughs> but uh, instead we'll just talk about one Cardinals hitter and one Yankees pitcher. One on the Worryometer, not worried at all. Ten, you're obviously freaking out. Let's start with Nolan Gorman. He went 0-4 for 4 with two strikeouts and a walk on Tuesday. In the month of June, he's now batting 162 with 20 strikeouts in 11 games and a 529 OPS. 
Scott, we'll start with you. The Warriometer on Nolan Gorman. Jeez. So this happens basically right after I go all in on Nolan Gorman. <laughs> he's, he's the real deal. He's here to stay. Uh, that strikeout rate for the season is up right at 30% again now, which is bad. Uh, I'll say f- five. That's what I was going to say. Okay. Split the difference. It's a real cop-out answer. It's it's tough because, like, what if he's just Jock Peterson? But relative to preseason expectations, relative to what you paid to have him on your roster, that would be actually a really good outcome. Relative to where we were two weeks ago, I, I think we'd be pretty disappointed if he was just Jock Peterson. So it's, yeah, it's, he's, uh, he's, he's still on pace for well more than 30 homers, it's worth pointing out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so a slow start to the month for Nolan Gorman, but uh, let's see if he can get those strikeouts under control. The other name here is Luis Severino, who has now turned in three rough outings in a row. He was at the Mets, and he went four and two-thirds. He allowed six runs, five of those earned, three more walks, only seven swinging strikes on 104 pitches, 10 hard hits allowed in this start. Uh, He has given up seven homers over his past three outings. The ERA is up at 6.48. The whip is 1.48. His fastball is getting destroyed this season. Chris, the Warriometer on Luis Severino. Yeah, it's so frustrating because he was really good last season when he pitched. And there was even a stretch, I think, where he had like nine out of 12 starts of more than six innings pitched. He was actually quite good last season. And I I think you have to be fairly concerned. I think it's got to be like a seven. I'm not saying you drop him, but... I don't see any any way you can start Luis Severino right now. Um, and like you said, the fastball especially. I want to – did he give up any home runs with the fastball today? I gave up 97-mile-per-hour <laughs> average exit velocity on nine balls in play. Yeah. Uh, but coming into this start, he had five home runs allowed on his four-seam fastball. So it's uh, been a rough go of things for him, but it's – you know, the velocity is still fine, right? It's still 96.4 miles per hour. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Spin, I, I, spin I, I rate, feel like extension, my... whiff rate, all right around where they were last season when he was, again, very good. So I don't want to overreact, but he's clearly not right. Yeah, at the very least, I feel like it's to the point where he's we got to see signs of a turnaround to start him because he's just doing too much damage. But it's... I'm uncomfortable analyzing a situation like this because I feel like I'm just analyzing the results. That's it. Oh, Luis Severino do bad. Therefore, <laughs> me sit Luis Severino. Like that's Yeah. I, I wish I had more something more sophisticated to offer than that, but I don't. Mm-hmm. It might be something and we've seen this with plenty of pitchers mechanically or tipping his pitches. I mean, we saw it with Alec Manoa earlier this season, right? So uh we'll see. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, Severino, a seven on the worryometer, probably uh, want to sit him moving forward the way that he's pitching. The bonus dropometer, and I've got two names here. Jack Flaherty gave up six runs over four and a third. I feel like we're on again, off again with Flaherty. He goes through a stretch recently where he looks pretty good, but the overall numbers still look pretty bad, Scott. Uh, Jack Flaherty is 83% rostered. One, you're not dropping him at all. Ten, you could drop him anywhere. Where is Jack Flaherty on the dropometer? Hmm. I mean, probably about an eight. Even, even those times that I've been a little more optimistic about him, it's never been to the point where it's like, you know, he's too good to consider dropping. And if, if, like, if you have to drop him for Luis Matos, that's certainly something I'd be okay with. I, I feel like though. The biggest problem with Flaherty at this point, it, it's not it's not wholesale anymore. Like it's not he's giving up hard contact. He's not missing bats. The velocity's down, and he's walking everybody. It's not like that anymore. It's mostly just he's not throwing enough strikes. Yeah. That's enough of a problem to bring him down, but it does leave a little bit of hope that overall maybe he's trending the right direction still. Yeah, and the last name here is Lance Lynn, who we've talked about all season long. Another subpar outing. I don't know how much, you know, 
you want to put into it. He's at the Dodgers. Obviously, that's one of the toughest matchups in baseball, but now has a 6.75 ERA and a 154 whip. Chris, Scott and I have talked a lot about Lance Lynn recently. We haven't heard your thoughts. Uh, where is he on the drop meter? Um, lower than Jack Flaherty, although I'm not sure there's really like a great explanation for that. He's been just about as bad as Jack Flaherty, probably even a, a tad bit worse. And this is a situation where like everything's worse. I guess the strikeout rate is right where it was last season, but the walk rate is more than double. And really, he's just getting clobbered. The hard the the hard hit rate up to forty two percent. Expected woba on contact four forty. That's really bad, and that's somewhere something that Lance Lynn has always excelled at. He's always been you know better and often much better than league average in terms of quality of contact metrics. So Man. those well, tend I, to I, stabilize. And the one thing I looked up was. He has a 12.2 ERA in the first inning. That's really, really bad. And I was like, oh, maybe that's a reason for optimism. Well, bad news, kids. He's got a 5.4 ERA the rest of the time. So it's not just a first inning issue. Lance Lynn's just been terrible. Well, I, I will point out a couple things, though. One is average exit velocity in this start. Bad line. But it was 87.1. We mm-hmm. could all live with that as an average yeah. exit velocity from Lance Lynn. Two, all four earned runs. Or actually, four of the five runs came in the first inning. So he had that problem again today. I was getting a lot of people tweeting at me in the first inning, like, oh, this is it, right? Finally time to drop Lance Lynn. And I was like, oh, maybe. But then he looks fine the rest of his start. Mm-hmm. It's, okay, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to hold out a little longer on Lance Lynn. Oh, all right. Uh, let's get into the leftovers. Three other pitchers that got knocked around on Tuesday. Chris Bassett. Gave up eight runs over three innings pitched at the Baltimore Orioles. He's now been tagged for seven-plus runs three different times this season. Max Scherzer um, up against the Yankees, three and a third innings, six earned runs, two homers allowed in that start. Uh, Had looked much better over his previous five starts. And Tanner Bybee hit hard at the Padres, four innings, six runs, two homers allowed in that one, Uh, 10 hard hits, 94.1 average exit velocity in that start. Scott, any concern here over Tanner Bybee, Max Scherzer, and Chris Bassett? Uh, mostly for Bybee, which is understandable, given that the other two are more proven, more high-end. Bassett, like his last two starts were brilliant, and then but three turns ago, he had an awful one. He's basically had three awful starts this year where he's given up seven, eight, nine earned runs, and then the rest of the time, he's been great. So that's frustrating when he has those bad starts, but... They've been few and far enough between that I'm I'm willing to tune them out. Scherzer, uh, you know, he's had a lot of big strikeout starts recently, so I'm willing to give him a pass for this one too. Bybee's just he's just he, he's just been a little weak, right? Just not not enough good going on there and especially lately he's given up tons of hard contact i believe this is his fourth straight start allowing uh 92 an average exit velocity of 92 or more miles per hour third straight start it was 94.1 in this one third straight 92 or more um and that's addition in addition to a low swinging strike rate i think the control's been less than stellar which she kind of needs it to be stellar I don't know. Uh, he's when we were, we were ranking the rookie pitchers yesterday, and we had Taj Bradley at the bottom uh, of the group we were ranking. We didn't list all the rookie pitchers, but Tanner Bybee, I would say, is closer to Taj Bradley, closer to that, mm, closer if to you, dropping him range than than like uh, Bobby Miller. If you had to drop one of Jack Flaherty, Tanner Bybee, or Lance Lent, who would it be? Flaherty. Flaherty. If you had to drop two. Lance Landon Flaherty. Yeah. yeah. If you had to drop three. (laughs) All three. (laughs) He gone. Yeah, look, it's an interesting point on the hard contact for Tanner Bobby because he's not getting a crazy amount of whiffs. Uh, Entered Mm -hmm. to start with a 9.8% swinging strike rate. So uh, as much pedigree as he had and as much as we liked him, you know, he, he is kind of... T- uh, falling back a little bit here. So we'll continue to monitor. Uh, and maybe he's not just like a must-start pitcher moving forward. Yeah. And obviously, that's really short-term, short-sighted analysis. Like, 
in terms of dynasty value, nothing's changed for Tanner Bybee. Little should change for a top prospect's value during his rookie season in dynasty leagues. All right. Quickly run through some pitching standouts. And uh, Hunter Brown, seven shutout innings with four strikeouts uh, up against the Nationals. Zach Wheeler, six innings of one-run ball with seven strikeouts. George Kirby, a dominant start up against the Marlins. Six innings, one unearned run with 10 strikeouts and 20 swinging strikes. Tony Gonsolin, Six shutout with six strikeouts up against the White Sox. Chris, any thoughts there? Gonsolin, Kirby, Wheeler, and Hunter Brown. Yeah, before the show, Scott said that I'm obsessed with George Kirby. It's not just George Kirby. I find the Mariners pitchers, specifically the three young guys, Kirby, uh, Bryce Miller, and Logan Gilbert, I think they're all fascinating because they kind of buck a lot of the the trends of modern pitchers. And, and in this start, 20 swinging strikes for George Kirby. That's a, an incredible number. Two. One each with his slider and curveball. That means 18 of his 20 swinging strikes came on either his four-seam fastball or his sinker. And the one thing that I did like from this start, his in-zone rate was down to 48%. For the season per stat cast, it was 58% entering this start. That is just way too many pitches in the strike zone. And, you know, you saw a lot of the swings and misses by the Marlins. They were on fastballs. They were on, you know, fastballs away. He's a guy who's got great command and... You know, there's that command control thing. He's got great command. He should be more willing to throw the ball out of the strike zone to get those whiffs. Um, he's like out of 130 qualifying starters, I think he's 80th or something in uh, strikeout rate once he gets to an 0-2 count, which I feel like kind of sums up the George Kirby thing where he needs to be better at putting guys away. He was in this start. And so, you know, I wonder if this could be the start of him, you know, starting to figure some things out. You left out the best part of me uh, saying you're obsessed with George Kirby. I thought I was having a private conversation with Frank here. <laughs> and then you jump in like a Literally thief in the just night. at you that moment. And to hear me say that. Just, just probably... the, the, the first lines of Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani. I'm not going to say them on the pod, but you can look them up. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that's probably what was going think, on. Man, Scott is obsessed with Chris Towers. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I mean, Chris, you can only imagine the things he was saying for the two weeks that you were out. My gosh. I... <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, three other names who threw quality starts on Tuesday. Pablo Lopez, Corbin Burns, and Joe Musgrove. Each exactly quality starts. Six innings of three-run ball. Scott, anything on uh, Lopez, Burns, or Musgrove? Uh, I do want to mention Corbin Burns in this start. It's been trending up for a few starts now, but in this start, his average cutter velocity was actually higher than it was last year. His overall cutter velocity last year, 95. It was 95.2, I believe, in this start. So it appears to be all the way back. And the results have been trending up too. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by uh, what Corbin Burns has done recently. This wasn't an amazing start, but still he's back in my top five starting pitchers rest of season. Mm -hmm. I wanted to point out with Pablo Lopez, he's been fading his four seam fastball three starts in a row. And that pitch has been hit pretty hard this season. Uh, it hasn't really translated to the best results yet, but I feel like it makes sense uh, to use his secondary pitches more and, Hopefully, turns into better results moving forward for him. A uh, few hitting leftovers. Rafael Devers, two for four with a double dong, now up to 17 home runs. Michael Conforto had a big game, four for six with three RBI. Uh, Josh Naylor, two more hits for him. I moved him inside of my top 15 first baseman. It's pretty aggressive, but uh, the overall season numbers and the expected numbers are both awesome for Josh Naylor. And Ellie De La Cruz, you know, if we're going to talk about all the good that he does, got to point out some of the bad. Uh, did pick up his fifth steal in this game, but 0 for 3 with two more strikeouts. He has 14 strikeouts in eight games, a 39% strikeout rate. I think we still all, you know, really, really like Ellie De La Cruz, but this, you know, could be a bit of a roller coaster with all those strikeouts this season. I want to, do you have Naylor ahead of Rowdy Telez now? I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had Rowdy Telez as part of the uh, worryometer, but not enough time. Uh, we'll talk about him another day soon. Some bullpen updates for the Yankees. I've been at, as hard on Clay Holmes this season as you could possibly be. I've given him a bunch of crap, uh, but he came through in a massive situation. He entered in the eighth inning with the bases loaded, one out, and a one-run lead. He struck out both Francisco Lindor and Starling Marte, 
And then Michael King came in for the ninth and picked up his fourth save of the season. For the Rockies, Justin Lawrence entered in the seventh inning with the game tied, runners on second and third. He recorded the next five outs. Uh, Daniel Bard pitched in the ninth with the game tied. The Rockies took a three-run lead in the 10th inning. Matt Carasidi, who picked up the save on Monday, uh, he came in for the save. He gave up a two-run homer to Devers. He was relieved by Pierce Johnson, who picked up his 12th save of the season. That guy uh, just cannot stop getting <laughs> saves for whatever reason. But I do think it's interesting that uh, that it was Justin Lawrence working part of the 7th and 8th and, and Daniel Bard in the ninth. You know, Daniel yeah. Bard worked the ninth in a game that went to extra innings Monday as well. But presumably that was because Justin Lawrence was unavailable. He'd worked two straight days. The fact that now Bard has handled the ninth two days in a row. Again, tie game, going to extra innings. We can't be sure that they're using him like the closer. But it's it's pointing more that direction now, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, still has eight walks in five innings in the month of June, which, mm. yeah. you know, that's less than ideal. Four of them came in one outing, so that's better, but... Yeah, control very much still an issue for Daniel Bard. Mm -hmm. For the Brewers, Devin Williams entered in the ninth with a two-run lead. He gave up four runs on two homers. He took his first blown save and first loss of the year. For the Angels, Carlos Estevez picked up his 18th save. For the Reds, Alexis Diaz picked up his 16th. For those streaking Oakland A's, Trevor May entered with a one-run lead. He walked two, but picked up his third save. I think it's three saves in the past week or so. He just... Looks like they're closer now. Uh, and for the Padres, Josh Hader picked up his 16th save of the season. To stream or not to stream for Wednesday, I believe the Braves and Tigers now have a double header. AJ smith Chauver isn't listed, but I, th I think he'll still be one of the pitchers. So uh, I still do like him up against the Tigers. Who do we mention yesterday? Garrett Whitlock up against the Rockies. Mm -hmm, I like that one a lot. And... I still have faith in Reed Detmers in the long run, but I'm not starting him at Texas. Yeah. But I haven't I haven't really dropped him in any of my leagues yet. So I think I mentioned Descofani at the Cardinals is okay. Josiah yeah, Gray at the Astros, okay, but there were a lot of okay, but not really enough to make me say yes. Don't yeah. hate Ranger Suarez at Arizona. That was one of them. Yeah. Even at Ben Lively at Kansas City. Like I could see. Yeah, that they're just well. awful. Yeah, those are just kind of okay, but I think it's uh, Smith Chauver and Garrett Whitlock at the top of the list. Thursday is a, a much smaller slate, and the only one I think is maybe decent is Johan Oviedo at the Cubs. That offense has really slowed down. Nobody else, really. Yeah, um, that's probably the best choice. Yeah. It's not a great one. Yeah. Michael Grove up against the White Sox, maybe if you're mm -hmm. desperate, but eh. Don't really love that one. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.